God is good? And all the time? Glad that you chose to worship with us today. And if you are new here, uh, let me introduce myself. My name is John, and I am uh, blessed uh, to serve as the pastor here. And again, we want to thank you for being with us uh, today. And as Stefan already mentioned, we are starting a new series today called Fight uh, for Your Family. And as we think about this topic this morning, I, I want you to realize that the reason I'm able to speak on this is because uh, I was the perfect son growing up, the perfect child, okay? My parents aren't in here to deny that. Um, I also want you to know that, that I have two children, uh, really adult children now, one's 24 and one's 21, and I was the perfect dad, and they're not here to confirm or deny that. And also, I've been married 28 years, and I have been the perfect husband all this time. Can I get an amen, Joy? <laughs> no. <laughs> she cannot confirm or deny that. I, I kind of did that in reverse order at first service because my parents were in here, but my wife was serving in the nursery, and my kids aren't here either way, so uh, when I said that I was the perfect son, my, I just heard laughter coming from my mom. And I, I think that was her confirming that. That's the way I took it anyways. The reality is that nobody in the room is perfect. Can I get an amen to that? That we're all messed up people. James says that in the book of James. He says we all stumble in many ways. So there is no perfect family. And there is no perfect dad. No perfect sons or daughters, grandmas and grandpas, all that. But I think there are some principles in Scripture that we're going to unpack the next few weeks about what it means to fight for our family. And uh, I, I did write a book entitled Fight for Your Family. If you would like it, there's a free copy in the back. Feel free to take one. If you already have one, maybe you know someone that needs it, you could take it and give it to them. Uh, mail it to someone, whatever, but I, I hope it's a, a good resource for you. And we're going to kind of talk about that for the next few weeks, but... Uh, this morning, I, I kind of want to just lay some groundwork and some framework. The reality is the reason that I uh, was, um, I felt like the Lord had prodded me to write that book was because um, the, the truth is I'm getting old. Can I get an amen to that? Maybe? I don't know. There, and I, actually, probably half of the crowd thinks I'm young and half of the crowd thinks I'm old. That's just how life works. And uh, I guess I'm middle age if I live to be, you know, 98 or whatever. But I can't do the math. 96, I guess it would be. Now, as we think about this, I was thinking, why did God, why did I write this? Why do I want to talk about this? Uh, you know, I've been in full-time vocational ministry for 26 years. That's a long time. I'm old. I know it. But... I was reminded of this, uh, and in fact, last weekend was my 30th anniversary from my high school graduation. 30 years. Like, that's what old people say. Yeah, I'm going to my 30th reunion. I, I didn't go. Uh, the, the truth is, so maybe there's some students in here. You know, we put so much emphasis when we're in high school on what people think of us. You know how many people I've talked to from my high school in the last 30 years? Three. And one of them is my brother. So when the four of us guys were decided we're not going to that, 
I ain't going to that. But I looked at the 30th reunion pictures, and you know what I realized? Them people's old. <laughs> and honestly, I thought, man, I should have gone. I look better than that. Anyways, I had judgy eyes for sure. But in 26 years, I've had a lot of terrible conversations. I've had conversations with parents who can't figure out their kids. I've had a lot of conversations with students who cannot figure out their parents. I've had conversations with parents who thought and who have said, it's probably best for our kids if we get a divorce. And I've had conversations with kids whose parents thought it's probably best that we get a divorce. And, and, and so my goal the next few weeks is to challenge us, whether you're single, I think you're going to learn some things, whether you're a grandma and grandpa, great-grandma and great-grandpa, I think there's some things we can learn through Scripture. Whether you're a student or a kid, I think there's some things we can learn. But today, I, I guess the title of the message this morning is called Be Weird. Can you say be weird? Say it, be weird. You can say it loud enough, be weird. How many of you, be honest, you're already kind of weird anyways? Okay. The subtitle of be weird is this, because normal isn't working. Normal isn't working. Here's what we learned from Paul. In, in Romans chapter uh, 12, Paul said this. Paul said, don't be conformed to the image of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And, and so what he leads us to understand that there, maybe there's another way to be formed. Don't be, don't be conformed. Don't be pressed into an image. Or what he's saying is don't be conformed into culture. When he says the world, he's, he's talking about the world's system of beliefs. It's the society. It's the culture. Paul says don't be conformed to that image, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And it leads us to understand maybe there's another image I should be formed into. And in Romans chapter 8 we all probably are a little bit familiar. We've at least seen it on a, on a coffee cup or a T-shirt a, a that says, God's working all things together for good. That's the summary of Romans chapter 8, verse 28. But verse 29 then says that God's plan is to form you into the image of Christ. So when we think about these two ideologies, two thoughts, two images, the re, here, here's what I believe, that everyone in the room... There are forces that are going to form you into one of two images, either into culture or into the image of Christ. And I think you as an individual, we as a church, need to be proactive in what image we're being formed into because we have a responsibility in this. That's what I want to talk about. And so before we kind of get into the message this morning, I want to lay like some framework and a foundation of where we're going to go over the next few weeks. Okay, when we talk about family, what, what do we even mean by that? Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. It'll be on the screen or you can turn there. Or if you got your phone, you can look on the Version Bible app. The notes are actually on there. Verse 26, God said, let us, okay, this is the first hint or understanding of Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. 
So, verse number 27. God created mankind in his own image. The image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, we could pause just for a moment. In, in culture right now, I, I see this statement a lot, that um, this is the gender that I have been assigned, referencing that maybe I could change that. But we see very clearly in Scripture that who, does, who assigns gender? God does when he created you. He created you in his image, and it's very clear there's male and there's female. So then he, God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over it, the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so what we see here very clearly, what we believe as a church, that, that the family should consist of one man with one woman for a lifetime, till death do them part. Okay, and then it's the goal that God, God wants them to be fruitful and multiply and have kids. Okay, that's the family. That's what God's plan is. Okay, now, as we think about this, what, when we're talking about fighting for our family, what we're going to talk about, really, it's this idea of discipleship. It's about training is the theme verse of Hallmark Kids Ministry. Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way she go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. Again, let me preface, that's not a promise of God, it's a principle. Okay, it's not a promise, it's a principle. And so Deuteronomy chapter 6, I want to just read a few verses. And this passage is a passage that Jesus quoted from when the lawyers asked him, what's the greatest commandment? This is the passage Jesus quoted from. The listeners, when Jesus was asked that question, most of the audience wouldn't be Jewish. They would have known that this particular passage of Scripture in Deuteronomy is called the Shema, that every Jewish home would have memorized this section of Scripture. And, and here's what Deuteronomy 6, verse 4 says. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Remember, that's what Jesus said. This is the greatest commandment. And the second is like unto it. He said, love your neighbor as yourself. Verse number six, and these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. And then verse seven, here's where we get the idea of understanding that the family, one man with one woman for life, God blesses them with kids. And then it says, you, okay, you family, mom and dad, shall teach them diligently to your, what's the next word? Children. Say it again, to your children. Okay, so God's speaking in the context of family. One man with one woman, God blesses with, with kids, and then they are responsible to teach them to your, what are they teaching to their children? Love God with our heart, soul, and strength. They're teaching them, and the words we would use this, this morning would be, we're teaching our kids to find and follow Jesus. They shall talk of them when you, when you, are in your when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up, basically saying all day. When you have opportunity, teach your kids. Every, every opportunity in the day is an opportunity to teach your kids to find and follow Jesus. That could be how you react in traffic, and I'll continue on. Verse number 8. You shall bind them as a sign in your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. In other words, God's word should permeate your home. That's what he's saying. And it's your responsibility. So here's what we believe as a church, that we believe as a church that Mom, dad, grandma, and grandpa, the context of, of the home, the family, it is your responsibility. You are to be the primary discipler of your children. It is your responsibility to train your kids to find and follow Jesus. 
Now you might ask, then why do we have this, all this uh, resources and spend all of this energy? Even Stephanie this morning says, hey, we have like 10 babies in the nursery this morning. We need help. Why are we spending all our energy? And we have a student pastor. We also have uh, Allison, who's a director of our children's ministry. Why would we spend all the resources if it's the responsibility of the home? Because here's what we understand as a church. The scripture teaches us as a church that we are to equip... It says the saints, other followers of Jesus, to do the work of the ministry. So we feel that our role as a student ministry, as Hallmark Kids Ministry, is to equip you, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, aunt, uncle, to train your kids to find and follow Jesus. We also acknowledge that in our culture today, many parents are not fulfilling that responsibility. So the church has come alongside to help lead people and kids to find and follow Jesus. Jesus. So here's what I believe, and I, I've said this many times standing from this platform. I don't know where I first read it, but it has stuck with me. And this is what it says, as the man goes, so goes the family. And as the family goes, so goes the church. And as the church goes, so goes the community. And then as the community goes, so goes the country. So my challenge for you this morning, what I'm going to ask you to make a commitment at the end of the service is that you will make a commitment to be weird. Not in the weird way that you already are, okay? To be weird. Because normal isn't working. I want to just take a few minutes to point out what's normal. Remember, there's, there's two images that you are being pressed into. You are either becoming, you are either being formed into the image of culture or you're being formed into the image of Christ. I don't think you can be neutral. It's one or the other. You're either walking towards Christ or you're walking away from Christ. Listen to the statistics. 45% in the U.S., 45% of first marriages end in divorce. Second marriages, 60% in divorce. Third marriages, 73% end in divorce. There's 2,400 divorces in the U.S. every day. Now you understand why when you watch TV, you are always, almost always going to hear a commercial about a divorce lawyer. That's 875000 a year. Do you realize that one, this is was a new statistic, I hadn't read this before, one-third of divorces are a result of online affairs, like social media, Facebook has been a big, so divorce. Students and depression and again, these are pre-COVID numbers. In 2019, from ages 3 to 17, there were 5.2 million kids who had some type of anxiety disorder. Again, the same period of time, 2019, ages 3 to 17, 2.3 million, the next step, were had a depression disorder. Since the pandemic in, in May of 2020, 29% of parents said that it had caused mental health issues with their children. Just a few months later, in October of 2020, that number went from 29% to 31%. Depression. Debt. The average family has 2.7 credit cards and over $5,000 of credit card debt. You know the U.S. consumer debt is $14.9 trillion. 
I'm, I'm not talking about the government's debt. That's a whole other story. Just us buying stuff. They, they actually, the, the, so there's this underlying maybe good thing that during the year of COVID, all that kind of went down because people couldn't get out and spend money, I guess. What about church attendance? From, from 2000, again, these are pre-COVID numbers, from 2000 to 2018, there was a decline in church attendance by 17% in America. And I know people will argue that I can be close to Jesus and not go to church. And I would tell you that you're not going to be close to me if you don't like my wife. And the church is the bride of Christ. You can't be committed to me and not like my wife because we're going to have problems. Can I get an amen to that? Men, you should be saying amen to that. And I don't think you can separate Christ's mission from Christ's church. Because Jesus didn't come to die for whatever hobby you have. Jesus came to die for the church. Jesus gave the message of the gospel, the hope of the world, to the church. He gave the church the mission to go into all the world and preach the good news. Do you believe that the church is the hope of the world? Yes or no? Yes. And so how can we separate the hope of the world, the church, and not be committed to Christ bride. So what is normal? Well, we just walked through it. Divorce, depression, debt, and being disengaged from church. So, my challenge to you is, let's be weird, because normal isn't working. And I want to walk through quickly some Old Testament passage of Scripture where there were men and women who had a decision to make. They're either going to be formed into the image of culture or they're going to be formed in the image of the Lord. It's the same decision that we have. It's the same decision you have. It's the same decision whether you're a parent or not a parent. This is, not, this is just not application for people who are married and have kids, all right? Although the title says fight for your family. This is application for all of us. And so as we walk through these, I'll give you hopefully just a quick context of the scripture and hopefully you'll be challenged and maybe inspired by these men and women in numbers chapter 14 verse 6 through 9 it says that joshua the son of nun and caleb the son of whatever his dad's name who were among those who had spied to the land tore their clothes and they spoke to all the congregation of children of israel saying the land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land if the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them. And look what they say. The Lord is with us. Do not fear them. I think of the scripture, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. What's interesting, we didn't put this verse on the screen because it's kind of a little depressing. The very next verse says, so the people wanted to stone Joshua and Caleb. In other words, culture was telling him, no, don't go, no, don't go. And Joshua and Caleb said, listen, if God is for us, nobody can be against us. 
We will not fear them because God is greater. And what this church needs, what our families need, what our community needs, what our country needs is men and women like Joshua and Caleb will say, you know what? This is normal and I'm not going to be normal because God is with me. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 29, and the scene is David walks out to the battlefield just to take lunch to his older brothers. He's the little ruddy kid, right? And he's not supposed to be a part of the battle, but he hears this great big giant yelling at the nation of Israel, defaming their God, and it ticked off David. And remember what David said? He said here in verse 29, David said, what have I done now? Is there not, what does it say? A cause. And church, we learned last week that the cause is greater now than it's ever been. There are people all over the world who don't know Jesus. Do you realize that in, in a one-mile radius of our church, there's 20,000 people? And I wonder how many of them don't know Jesus go out two miles from our church and that number almost goes to 50,000. Five miles from our church, over 200,000 people. And the words of David, is there not a cause? Esther chapter four, and I think this is one of my favorite stories, but you know, the story of Esther, she is a Jewish girl and she ends up being the queen but as she's the queen, little do they know that she's a Jewish girl and the decree comes that they're going to have another genocide on the Israelites, the Jewish people. And her uncle says, Esther, you are the queen. Do something. Look at verse 14. Her uncle talking says, for if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise from the Jews from another place. I think that's interesting. What he says is, look, I know you're the queen, but if you choose to be silent, God's still going to rescue his people. Like, he wasn't placing all his hope in this, this lady. He, his hope was in God. And, and he goes on to say, but for you and your father's house, you're going to perish. If you don't take a stand, you're going to perish, but God's going to deliver us. Then he says this, yet... Who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this? And he says, Esther, do you realize all that God has orchestrated for you to be in the place where you're at? And Esther, do you possibly think that maybe God has you in that place in this time for this purpose? And what about you? God has orchestrated the events of your life to be where you're at in this time for a purpose. I, I was encouraged this morning as I was talking to uh, one of the guys. Uh, he was just telling me that he came up early yesterday morning at 7. Every, every Saturday morning at 7, we, uh, there's several of us that come in and just pray. It's open if you want to walk in and pray. We're not going to force you to pray with anyone. Everyone just kind of gathers around the sanctuary and just spends time with the Lord by themselves. But on his way out yesterday, he grabbed one of those books. 
happened to go to the gas station. A conversation started with this lady because of, he had his uh, served in, in the Vietnam War hat on. She had also served in the military. They struck a conversation. He ends up telling her, you know what, you know what changed for me was the moment I gave my life to Jesus. The moment I gave my life to Jesus, everything changed for me. And she basically testified, that's never really happened for me. He went out to the car, got a book, gave her a book, and invited her to church. And I wonder how many times that we have opportunities, as Mordecai says to his niece, Esther, maybe, maybe God has you at that workplace to be his presence. Maybe God has you in that school to influence students for Christ. Maybe God has you in your neighborhood because your neighbors need Jesus. Daniel chapter 1 and verse 8. Daniel is a young man who has been forced into slavery. They've removed him from his home and his country. Going to change his name. Look what Daniel says, verse number 8. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. Let's think for a moment. Every one of us in the room, we, there are forces of Satan and of God. And they are, they are wanting you to be molded into an image. Culture or Christ. And what David realized, or Daniel, excuse me, what he realized when he got pulled out of his culture and placed into another culture that this is what's going to take place. They're going to want me to act like them, think like them, eat like them, do the things that them do. And you know what Daniel said? I'm going to purpose in my heart that I'm not, I'm not going to be conformed to culture. And you know what families need today? You know what churches, communities, and our country needs today? Is students kids, men, women, young adults, married, grandma, grandpa, to purpose in their heart to be conformed to the image of Christ, not culture. Daniel chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. The setting is the same. They're friends with Daniel. These three teenage boys, it's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These are uh, names, they're, they're gonna, they've changed their names as well. They're trying to form them into culture. And here's what it says. Answer, they, these boys answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. So let me give you the context in case you're not aware. These three boys also have been removed from their country. They're living in a foreign culture. And the, the, what they're supposed to do is when, when the music plays at the certain time of the day, they're supposed to go like to the center courtyard and they're supposed to bow to the image of Nebuchadnezzar. They're supposed to worship false gods. And, and the law was, if you don't do that, you're going to be thrown into the fiery furnace. They do not bow to the image. They're brought before King Nebuchadnezzar, and he says, I'm going to give you another chance. And this is what we just read. They said, we don't need another chance because we're not going to bow. Look at verse 17. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace. In other words, let's not go through it again. We're going to go out in the courtyard, and guess what? We're not going to bow again. You're going to bring us right back up in here, so let's just do it now throw us in the fiery furnace. And they said, God's able. 
God can deliver us. We believe that our God is more powerful than you, king. So throw us in the fiery furnace. And I love what they said in verse 18. But if not, just know this, king, if we do die in the fiery furnace, we are not going to worship the golden image which you've set up. And this doesn't show a lack of faith. They believe 100% that God could have delivered them. They did not know if God would deliver them. And that's really where the faith comes, doesn't it? We're not going to bow. Throw us into the furnace. And as the story goes, they got thrown in the furnace, and Jesus rescued them. So, normal is not working. Will you make a decision to be weird? Possibly, this morning, God is wanting you, like Daniel, to purpose in your heart to not be conformed to the image of this world. Possibly today God is speaking to you, hey, the story of Esther for such a time as this, I, I have you where you are for a reason, and God wants to use you, and God has a purpose and a plan for your life. Will you submit to it? Will you surrender to it? Maybe it's like David. Is there not a cause? The world around us the community around us needs Jesus. And are we willing to sacrifice something, anything, for the cause of Christ? And, the, and this morning, what I want to challenge you again is to be weird. And what I want to challenge you this morning is this. If you, maybe God has just spoken in your life today. Yeah, I, I need to do that. I need to, I need to purpose in my heart. I need to make a decision. I need to commit. I'm going to be weird. If, if you want to make that decision and you want to tell God and you want to tell this church, yeah, I'm in. I'm all yours. We're just saying it. Would you just stand where you're at? Don't, don't stand because I want you to or because people are watching. If you feel like God is saying, hey, I'm speaking to you right now in this moment, it's time to take a stand. It's not admitting that you're not already. It's just maybe recommitting. God, I'm going to stand. I'm going to fight. I'm going to be what this community, what this church, what my workplace, what my school, what my family needs. I'm, I'm going to purpose in my heart. And I, I'm going to acknowledge that maybe God has me as a t for such a time. I, I'm going to serve. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be involved. I'm not just going to sit in church and leave. I'm going I'm to be involved and be a part of what God is doing in this place because the church is his bride. I'm going to commit myself to this church. And and I'm going to be involved and I'm going to serve because this church, the church, is the hope of the world. It's the hope of this community. And there are thousands of people across the street in any direction from this church that need Jesus. One of the verses that challenged me and still challenges me to fight is a verse I want to close reading with us this morning. It's really kind of the theme verse of the whole series. Nehemiah had been told by God, go back to Jerusalem and build the walls. Because the walls represent God, their protection. The walls being lain in ruin, as it says, were a testimony of God. And Nehemiah, it, it, it ticked him off. 
we need to go build those walls because those walls represent my powerful God and I want to do something about it. So he gathers a crowd kind of like this this morning and understand that there was an enemy that wanted to destroy them and there's rumors that the enemy is coming. You're not going to build a wall because once the walls get built, now there's some protection. And as you read the story, the, the people, some have a sword in one hand and they have tools to build in the other hand. And as the crowd gathers, this is what Nehemiah says to them. It says in Nehemiah 4, verse 14, and, and I looked and I rose and I said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord great and awesome. And he says, fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, the normal thing for us to do is to be conformed to the image of this world what God wants us to do is to purpose in our heart I am going to fight I'm going to ask you to close your eyes for a moment as we pray I just want to pray over us today as many of us are standing we're declaring as individuals, as families, as a church, we are going to fight. We're going to fight against the norm and we're going to pursue Christ. Lord, we come to you today and we thank you for the, the, the testimony of these that have been before us or that have been in much worse circumstances than us but have made a decision to stand and to fight and Lord I pray as as individuals as families as a church faith family that we would stand and fight because there are so many people who need Jesus God the cause is great and I pray Lord that you would use these people standing to make a difference in their homes in their schools in their workforce in their neighborhoods and in this church this morning we're going to close the service like we normally do with a song of worship and the, and the words are pretty simple, that, that he's worth it all. And, and I pray this morning that as we sing, I, I, I want you to know there's, there's an opportunity this morning. Maybe, maybe what you need to do next is grab the person with you or your family, your spouse, and just come down to the altar and pray. Because here's what I do know. Like Nehemiah, when Nehemiah decided to go back and build, Satan said, okay battle's on you standing this morning saying I'm willing to fight I'm willing to be weird because normal's not working that's a declaration of war to be honest with you and what you need most is God's power to work in you God's power comes through prayer so maybe this morning as, as we sing you, you just need to come and pray ask God to give you the strength to do what he's called you to do